Welcome back to What the Fertility. Today we have with us Amanda Lassane, the Vice President of Sales at Progeny, and also a fellow IVF warrior, a full veteran of nine rounds of IVF, um, nine of those being full egg retrievals with eight failed transfers. And then the final round, she was able to bring home her daughter. So welcome, Amanda. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. I am really honored to be here and I'm so excited to share more about my journey, see if anybody can kind of identify with it and help them through what they're going through and then also share more about what I do at Progeny. Yeah, that is awesome. We're so excited that you're here. Um, if you just want to go ahead and kind of start just through your journey with infertility, um, your endometriosis diag diagnosis, the losses you've experienced, just kind of walk us through that um, and just kind of get us started. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it is a long story, so I will um, modify some of it to make it a little bit shorter. But um, I, so my husband and I met in college. Um, we both played soccer at College of Charleston and um, we, we met there, got married um, about two years after college. So we were younger when we got married and you know kind of just were at a point where we were enjoying our lives and weren't really thinking about you know getting pregnant we both were college athletes so we never thought that it could be something we would go through um and uh i would say probably three years after we got married um we just we started trying to conceive and at first you know no pressure kind of just was in you know just part of what we were doing we were trying and seeing people get pregnant and happening relatively easily and it had been about a year i was 27 at the time and so i thought um you know maybe it's just going to take a while for us didn't really think of anything it wasn't until like a year in that i went and had some testing done and my initial testing that came back showed i had a high fsh for my age. And so it was thought maybe we would need some sort of treatment in order to get pregnant. And that kind of like kicked off the journey. And I, throughout kind of that time period, we really were in kind of the throes of infertility for seven years. Um, so whether that was trying to conceive naturally or going through IUI or going through IVF, it was really kind of a full seven year period. Wow. And I was, truly kind of in the beginning an unexplained infertility diagnosis, which I know you guys are <laughs> familiar with and we all know how frustrating that is. And um, so really kind of no answers as to what was going on besides maybe a high FSH. And definitely in the beginning of our journey, um, cost was a huge component for like it is for everybody going through treatment. And I was a, you know, using a cash, cash to pay for a or basically pay for treatment so we were really focused on we didn't have a ton of money at the time and um trying to figure out like what was going to be the most economical for us to be able to afford treatment just like so many people exactly <laughs> so yeah. many people go through and i we ended up doing a few rounds of iui that were not successful um, i had a chemical pregnancy with an iui and then um went through a couple rounds of IVF, probably two, before I started to say, like, this is, I, I don't know what's happening, like, why this isn't working, we're both healthy, no idea why, why this is going on. In the midst of all of that, we were moving um, a few times, so we had to change clinics because of that, um, which that was 
also stressful to kind of go through that process. Um, And then probably, um, I think it was on our third round of IVF, we had our first success. And I mean, like, I could not believe it. We were living in Charlotte um, at the time, and we had uh, success on a fresh transfer of IVF. And um, I I really couldn't believe it was true. And I actually traveled pretty early in my pregnancy. I I was about five weeks, and I traveled for work to go to a meeting and I stayed at a friend's house. And when I was there, I um, woke up one morning and was bleeding really significantly um, and in a lot of pain. And I went to the emergency room and um, ended up having an ectopic pregnancy. Um, yeah. Like you were away. So your husband wasn't there. You were alone. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Amanda, that's so, and maybe you can elaborate it if you even have the information, but I think a lot of times, especially, you know, in my situation, I thought, well, IVF might decrease the risk of like an ectopic pregnancy. Right. So now you're sitting here saying you've done IVF and you've had this ectopic pregnancy. Yeah, I, it is, it is rare. It doesn't happen a lot, but it can happen. And, um, it, I mean, was, it was, it was really traumatic because like you said, I was not with my husband. I was in a different city. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like they like wheel you back to go have surgery and they ask for your next of kin and you're like, wait, what, what is happening? I go from being pregnant to going to surgery and then not even knowing what's going on. So that was like I said, definitely a moment of incredible stress. And I still definitely have some PTSD from it. Um, You know, I think a lot of people don't talk about that with fertility, that there is a significant amount of PTSD that exists. You may not recognize what that is, but, you know, like when you feel the same symptoms or you feel some moments, like it's all coming back to you. It all rushes back. Yeah. Or even or even for me and Amanda, maybe for you too, with flying, you know, I've had a miscarriage shortly after a flight and like, I just like, just even flying pregnant would be, it would be too traumatic to even yes. do that. Exactly. I mean, every time after we did that, there was no chance I was going to travel after IVF cycles, right? Um, so, you know, we kind of got through that moment in time and we sat down and tr- didn't understand like where we were going to go next. That was our third round of IVF. Um, we tried again, another round of IVF again, did not work. Um, and then we actually decided to do a donor egg cycle. My sister actually donated her eggs to us, which was incredible. Um, yeah, yes. She went through the process. Um, and we actually, applied for a grant, um, during that process with the bundle of joy fund, um, with Kyle, yeah, with Kyle and Samantha. I filled it out too. I, I like <laughs> to go through the whole process cause then we winded up getting our adopted embryo, but I filled yeah. it out and everything. So I'm very familiar with it. Yeah. So we ended up getting a grant, um, to go through that process. So this whole entire time, I mean, at that point we had probably spent $50,000, probably somewhere around probably that. Easily, easily, easily. 50, plus the ectopic cost. Yeah. I mean, all of those costs. And so just, I think that I know the answer. So for each cycle, were you getting like one or two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I should have said that. So in terms of my, you know, diagnosis or what happened with me is I just wouldn't get a lot. So that's why I had to go through it so many times is at the end of the cycle, it ended up being like one embryo. Um, so 
that's why the volume had to be so high. And I think we, we think that I definitely have some version of diminished ovarian reserve um, that we've kind of found along the way because I just don't respond to getting a lot of eggs. Now, was your AMH low as well? I know you sort of, you said your FSH was high, but no, it was in regular. That was normal. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm sure as you've gone through the testing, like sometimes it's different, like in yeah. different months, it's yeah. different. I mean, my, my AMH is completely appropriate for my age and I got one embryo. So, you yeah. know, I'd same. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people that do have diminished ovarian reserve go through this, right? You need a number of cycles in order to get these healthy embryos to be able to transfer. So that's really why we had to do so many. But when we went through the donor egg cycle, um, we went through the whole process. Um, we transferred one of those and it did not work um, either. So like, I mean, we... Uh, you, you don't even know where to turn at that point, right? Because you're trying all the options. There's never been anything identified as to why I can't carry a pregnancy, um, nothing like that. And then we kind of shifted gears and we looked at surrogacy for a little bit. Um, that didn't end up working out either. And I went through the process of that for about six months and that didn't work out. So we were a little bit lost as to where to go. And all in that time, I knew that I wanted to do something that meant more to me personally. And so I actually moved to Progeny to start working at Progeny um, kind of midway through my journey. Um, after we went through that failed kind of donor cycle is where kind of I started at Progeny. And I started at Progeny because I wanted to really do something I cared about. I had been in the digital health industry selling into employee benefits for the last probably 10 years, but I wanted to do focus on fertility because I knew the journey and I knew how to help people that were going through it. And when I came to Progeny, I had access to the benefits. So it shifted me to have coverage, which was amazing, you okay. know, game going changer. from, yeah, yeah, huge game changer. And then we have access here to understanding really incredible uh, results of providers, right? And seeing insights into what providers across the country are, are producing incredible outcomes for patients. Um, and I actually was introduced to a doctor in California um, whose name is Dr. Peter Klatsky um, at Spring Fertility and ended up as a patient there. I'm just, gonna, just for listeners, because you obviously mentioned it, I know you're going to go into it more, but if you can just like tell us what progeny is so that we can understand <laughs> yeah. where you're working, uh, just so we kind of know. Yeah, absolutely. So Progeny provides fertility benefit management um, services for employers. So my role at Progeny is I work directly with employers and share more about how Progeny provides value to their organization and how they can provide our coverage to their employees so that they can get access to really the best fertility coverage that exists um, so that um, really members can focus on getting healthy outcomes and not have to think about dollars and cents. They're focused on, you know, just their journey and looking for that healthy outcome. And so it's, that's so, so neat. And the, the first time I saw it was in my fertility clinic. They have, you know, yeah. progeny everywhere is progeny is really like an add on, right? So you could have blue cross blue shield and then they add on pro your employer actually adds on that benefit. It, so it's not like its own individual insurance. So it, so it is basically, we become a part of your insurance coverage Got is it. what we do. So we okay. specifically work for fertility um, insurance coverage, but we work with who your medical carrier is. So it's integrated with your 
your current medical design, um, but we serve specifically just for your kind of fertility or family building journey. Now, if your company is like opposed to it, is this something that just someone can go and add on to their insurance themselves if their company is not agreeing with it or wanting to add it on? Yeah, so so the, the market that we really serve is we serve larger employers. So employers that usually have around a thousand employees or more. Um, and it is an option that your employer has to offer to you. Um, so it's not kind of a service you can buy up as an individual or something like that. It's really your employer has to offer it. So one of the things I'm really passionate about at Progeny is helping people advocate um, with their employer as to how to ask for fertility coverage because it's an overwhelming conversation. And um, I have seen firsthand that when people start asking about fertility coverage, employers respond. Um, but it takes somebody sometimes asking the question like, why isn't this covered today? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you found this doctor in California. Yes. And then what happened? <laughs> yes. So Progeny helped guide me to kind of find this provider for me. And I actually ended up traveling for treatment um, to San Francisco and um, went through three egg retrievals there and ended up kind of similar results in terms of the number of embryos, but the approach that Dr. Klotsky took was incredibly different than all the other providers I'd been working with. He really personalized kind of the recommendations to me based on my situation. And I took way less medication than I'd ever taken before. And for some reason, my body responded better to that and ended up um, with, in those three kind of retrievals, ended up with three embryos from that. Um, and at, at, by this point, uh, that was round nine of retrievals that I had been through. Um, and we were, we did a retrieval, the last retrieval. And then after the retrieval, we walked into an IVF transfer after that from one of the embryos from a previous cycle with him. And in January of 2020, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, Drew. Um, I did not know it was a girl. Um, we waited to find out until she was born. But, um, oh my goodness, good. Yeah. That's, that's some like resistance to like have that info from day one. Yeah, we, I mean, there's so many things in IVF that you like, it's so scheduled and it's so like, you know, so much that I like, I wanted a surprise for myself. Like we had worked so long for this that yeah. I, and, and to be honest, like I share this with everybody, it was the best surprise of my life. Um, oh, I love that. You know, it was the best surprise of my life. Our OBGYN, I had a C-section and whenever she um, was like talking about the birth, she said, basically she held her up and she said, you have a daughter. Oh, and like, oh, I, I mean, chills. Literally yeah. amazing. I mean, it was, it was incredible. So all that to say, like, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about her because I understand the space that people are in that are listening to this. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily what you want to hear. You want to hear that there is a happy ending, right? But I understand like the pain where people are right now. And, um, and you, I mean, were I, in, you were in that space for seven years. Yes. Before, I mean, that's a, that's a really long time. Yes. I mean, I was in the space that everybody's in. I didn't want to go to baby showers. I, you know, get mad when I was in Target and looking at the baby stuff, right? Like I, I was there, you know, and I, I get it. And 
I just, I mean, not everybody can stick with it as long as we did. Um, because financially, sometimes you can't, you know, continue to afford it. Emotionally, you can't continue to afford it for your mental health. And so I, my message is never to anybody to like, just keep going because it's not right for everybody to just keep going. Right. It can be right to shift gears and do something different. I think my message is really for somebody that's going through this to ensure that you just kind of follow what feels right to you, you know, and authentic to yourself. And I think sometimes people don't trust that in this process because it's hard to feel what that is because you're hearing all this advice from different places. But I think ultimately, like I knew inside that this was the path that was going to work for us, you know? Um, so that's kind of why we stuck with it, but it's not the right option for everybody. That's amazing. And that's so true because I feel like, like you said, so many people just hearing things from, you know, in-laws, friends, or they want you to get pregnant, which is great. And I know they're trying to be supportive, but at the same time, if in your gut, it's time for you to take a break or stop, you really need to listen to that. So that's, that's really encouraging. For sure. And the only thing I didn't touch on in that whole thing that I talked about is my endodiagnosis throughout this. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, between my fourth and fifth round of IVF, I was in kind of that time frame of not knowing what to do. And I thought that endometriosis might be something I was dealing with just because I had researched and heard, you know, some people that have gone through this, like have silent endometriosis and it was something that I should look into. So I actually um, went to another a provider that really specializes in endometriosis um, in New York. And there's an incredible resource of information for people that um, are struggling with endometriosis called Nancy's Nook on Facebook. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. Um, no, but we'll link it because even like somebody like in my shoes with reoccurrent loss, I think silent endo is like a huge Yes. Hey, maybe you should check that out because you're not going to get diagnosed with it. Exactly. And so there's this, this um, resource called Nancy's Nook basically is an incredible nurse who has curated this um, group of women. I feel like it's over like 300,000 women that are a part of it. It's something wild in terms of the volume. And it, she basically curates uh, physicians um, to figure out the highest quality physicians to go to for endometriosis surgery. And so I went to one of those and it turns out I had stage three endometriosis when I had surgery. Um, wild and like silent. Cause like, and I had gone through all that symptoms or anything like so, around period or anything like that. So when I reflect back, yes, yeah. but yeah. I think we all like, so we're just laughing. <laughs> we're laughing because they haven't been released yet, but two of the girls we interviewed both were diagnosed with silent endo in a similar situation. Amanda is like, they were searching out after numerous failed cycles or loss. And both of them after the surgery are now successfully pregnant. And it's just, it, they, they said the exact same thing. Looking back, I had X, Y, Z after the surgery. I could tell it was different. And I think, and you probably heard the same thing, which is, I think, uh, you know, sometimes we really downplay our symptoms because we don't think they are as maybe as bad as what it sounds like it should be or something. I don't know. But when I look back, like I had to take ibuprofen during my periods. I had to like, sometimes like I would have a horrible, horrible pain when I went to the bathroom during my period. 
And like, but I thought that was normal. I didn't know. Nobody ever said to me, that's not normal. And so I think the more and more women talk about this with each other, the more like a year to understand when those things are somewhat abnormal. Mm -hmm. But I also, I mean, I went through four rounds of IVF and nobody ever said to me, you might have endometriosis. Like crazy. It's wild. It really is wild. Yeah. Just because you advocated for yourself, which is if you didn't do the research to even hear about it, you may have never even, you know, realized you had stage three. That is Mm -hmm. wild. Yeah. And I mean, I, as with your other, you know, the other guests that you've had, I mean, I did have success after my surgery. So who knows if that's that yep. contributed. I'm not sure. I, I feel like everyone needs to just go get tested. <laughs> see if they have endometriosis. Well, well, that's what, well, that's, I think what's so difficult is the yes. diagnosis is extremely invasive yeah. and surgery. You, yeah. So it's the laparoscopic mm-hmm. surgery and a lot of providers don't even want to suggest it, especially if it's in terms of silent, you're not seeing, I mean, for me, I've like asked, I'm like, are my, like, are my ovaries in a different position? Cause that's can be like a sign. If you have endo, it can kind of like be moved up or down and they're like, no, no, no. And they don't want to do the whole laparoscopic surgery. So it is like kind of like a leap, but when you get to the point of, you know, four rounds of IVF, you've done the IUI, you've done the donor, I'd be like, well, at this point, I'm just wasting my time to not check it out. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think there's a lot of women, I think it's one in 10 um, that have endo. So it's way more common than people think it is. And I think because women tend to silence some of their symptoms, maybe, you know, it's less likely to be diagnosed. And uh, I mean, I would ask about it if I went through this process again, I would have asked about it way earlier than I did before. I think this is like the perfect point to transition into just being like your own fertility advocate. I mean, I know we just talked about it with our physicians, but even going into it with like work and in your workplace and when you're looking for a job, I mean, prior, so I've been going through infertility or loss or whatever you want to label it for a little over two years now. And two years ago, I would have never even taken a second look at my benefits. Right. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like looking at, you know, in the last six months, I've looked at making a career change. And the very first thing I look at is, Oh, there's adoption assistant assistance. Oh, they cover IVF without requiring you to go through IUI. So Amanda, do you have tips for listeners in terms of kind of being your advocate an advocate for yourself in the workplace? Yes, absolutely. So I mean, I will say, you know, my seat is I sit and talk with benefits leaders on a daily basis about what their coverage looks like and how it can be improved. And I would say a large number of those people that I talk to, the reason they're talking to us is because somebody came to them and said, hey, what you're doing is not enough for somebody that's going through this. I think ultimately benefits leaders want to provide you know, a great package of benefits that helps attract and retain talent, as well as, you know, gets their employees to the right care. They want to do those things, but sometimes they just don't know what they're doing is not good enough, right? So it takes somebody stepping up and asking about it, which can be scary. I'm not downplaying that at all, right? You're going to your employer and saying, I'm struggling right now. And, oh yeah, I'm trying to get pregnant right? That's a scary proposition for somebody to take on. But I think the confidence that I can hope to impart on somebody is that, you know, it really does make a difference and your voice makes a difference. About 65% of employers that add a fertility benefit do so because somebody asked about it. 
So that's pretty powerful to understand that your voice really matters. Um, and I think, you know, there are options for people that aren't comfortable asking that, right? You can always talk to a coworker who might feel more comfortable, who wants to ask on your behalf, right? Not using your name or anything, but there's some people that are just more comfortable with that type of conversation. And I think a lot of people don't know how to help somebody with infertility. Um, and that gives somebody a really tangible way to help you um, if you're not the person that wants to move forward and, you know, ask your HR team. So I think those are some options. And then also, I think more and more we're seeing, you know, work groups within employers um, that are, you know, women at work or um, different types of work um, groups that you can be a part of that you can talk about these kind of conversations that might feel more powerful to come together to your HR team to talk about it. I think something I've learned because I, you know, when you're in corporate healthcare, well, so I'm in corporate healthcare, but if you're in a corporate organization, a lot of the times your superior is going to be a man and it can be really terrifying. And, and for me, an older man, so yeah. it can be terrifying to try to talk about it. I know I was forced to because, and we'll get into that later, but mine was a loss. So I had, I physically could not go to work um, for a certain amount of time. I had to tell him like, I have a surgery and this is what the surgery is. And so I was forced into having those conversations and thankfully so, because he was so receptive about, I mean, yeah. he was just so receptive, so understanding. And although our organization doesn't give us like, which we're going to get into, and I'm so excited, you know, we don't get pregnancy loss, bereavement. We don't, we don't get any of that, but mm -hmm. on a really local level, I mean, he was so flexible and take a week, take what you need. I'll, I'll we'll totally mm -hmm. figure it out. And, you know, just being able to have that conversation conversation and advocate for yourself, it, it made a huge difference than me struggling through trying to go to work for a week and hiding it. So I think yeah. that I know you wrote an article about pregnancy loss bereavement, which mm -hmm. I love. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think you're, I mean, I love your point that I think people are so much more human than sometimes we give them credit for. Right. And, um, it is really core to people's beliefs to have a family, right? And so I think when somebody's struggling with that and you speak to somebody else about that struggle, I think people can really understand where you're coming from. So, I mean, I'm sure there's people that aren't that way, but I would say the large majority are um, understanding of it. And it allows maybe you some more flexibility in your workplace that you need. But I think, you know, all of us at Progeny are super proud of our pregnancy loss leave that was introduced um, this last year. And it's, I think, just makes a really incredible statement as an organization that you value um, people that are going through this, right? Because I, as I experienced loss, and I'd love your perspective on this, I felt like your loss sometimes isn't valued because it's, you, you're kind of like, you're in the space that you kind of have to go back to work. It's like, yeah. you're going through this really horrible moment and there's no recognition of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's incredible about this leave is it really assigns value to the loss that you're going through that you can feel like, feel okay to, to take the time you need to process what just happened. Um, because if you keep moving, you don't get the chance to process. And I'm sure Kat, that you can speak to that, you know, like you just sometimes just don't feel 
like you can process what's happened because you don't have the time to do it. I com I completely agree. And I think, you know, even speaking on like chemical pregnancies, and I hate to even make the distinction, but like a chemical pregnancy versus a clinical, you know, you're not having to go have surgery or you're not having to like take the time off for like the actual medical procedure. So exactly, Amanda, like it places value on like, look, you were so excited. You, this was a life, it was a pregnancy and you are grieving. You know, for me, a lot of the times when I've had a chemical, like I, I just go to work the next day. Um, and I, you know, Amanda and I have talked about like, I definitely never took the time to grieve any of my losses uh, because Absolutely. it's just, even when you do, you know, do you take the time off for a DNC, I mean, you don't even have time to process it. You're going back to work um, the second that you're physically able to, but you don't take that mental piece. Right. Into it at all. Yeah. And you think about like, this is a, a large traumatic medical event that's happening. Right. And to, to think that you feel like you have to take your PTO to process that, that's, that is crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that is, so I think, really kind of recognizing that this is a real moment in time for people's lives and a company that recognizes that is placing value on that. And I think even though, even if people don't take it, so even if it's not relevant to them, I think one of the amazing things is that if you work at an organization and you see that as a part of your benefits policy, you understand how much a company values family. Um, and I think that really speaks volume of establishing a culture. And I think what we've seen is that this kind of movement of people adding this loss leave is really inspirational for companies uh, against each other to benchmark and say, you know, this is something that we all should be doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like also when you don't take the moments to grieve it, it's going to come out somewhere. Yes. And so then it honestly can affect work too. So ultimately Absolutely. I think it's just beneficial regardless, um, even for a work standpoint too, for employers to look at it that way. I mean, obviously you want them to look at it for your mental right. health reasons as well, but that's great. Yeah. There's a, there's a really neat kind of movement going around LinkedIn right now. That's called it's, it's the hashtag is show us your leave. Um, well, and it's a, it. yeah. And it's about basically showing what Companies' policies are around um, maternity, paternity, uh, bereavement leave, all of the things that come along with family building. Um, so it's, that's a cool kind of movement people can check out. Um, wow, I'm going to go on LinkedIn and do that because we don't even get maternity leave, and I work right. at one of the biggest healthcare corporations. Like yeah. we get, like you get 12 weeks of FMLA if you have a C-section, and you get six weeks if it's a vaginal birth. And if you're sick prior to that, they're like, well, you're going to have to, if you take it, you're going to have to take it out of your leave once the baby's here. I mean, it just, it's so antiquated. Like it doesn't, it's not, it's not in line with, with 2022 or, you know, even the last 15 years, but yeah. I'll digress. I will go on LinkedIn and find that. <laughs> Well, I did want to jump in and we did a Q&A on our Instagram yeah. for um, just our listeners to be able to ask some questions. And so we had a few questions. And so I wanted to just ask you, um, let's see, it says, does insurance help if you use an egg donor? It can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the kind of core beliefs here at Progeny is we help or support all paths to parenthood. So that can look different for everybody. Um, so whether you're a same-sex couple, single parent by choice, um, 
you know, it, 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 whoever needs the benefit can use it here at Progeny. Um, so whether that you need donor tissue coverage, you can actually apply your benefit for that. So whether you need donor eggs, donor sperm, um, donor embryos, you know, a process that your coverage can apply for um, here at Progeny. Yeah. So, I mean, I think no matter your path to parenthood, whatever fertility coverage you have, it should support what that looks like for you. And that might be different for you versus your coworker, but it should be equitable across the board. That's great. Especially like Kat mentioned it before. Um, and I know for my husband's insurance, what, when we went through it, um, it was the same thing of like, you had to do an IUI before IVF. And for us, IUI wasn't like, they didn't right. as an option. We had to go straight to IVF and insurance didn't cover any of our rounds. And so I wish we would have known <laughs> advocated uh, for his company, but uh, I think that's just, that's awesome that you guys offer that. Yeah, we see that. We see that a lot. So a lot of kind of traditional medical plans um, that offer fertility coverage. So think of kind of your traditional health plans. They require what we call it's step therapy is kind of the insurance term for it. That basically makes you try a lesser treatment before a more advanced treatment. And when you think about it, if you have $10,000, you're going to run through something that's never going to work for you before yep. you get to the most effective treatment. So our belief is the patient and the provider should make the decision as to what's going to work best for them and that yep. patient. And then we empower them with the benefit to choose that path. So people get pregnant much more quickly because of that, because they're getting the right treatment the first time and not wasting dollars on things that aren't going to work. So it's definitely by far and away the best way to get coverage if you can. Yeah. Um, and that's why obviously I'm so passionate about helping to get it into people's hands. Yeah, no, that is. You, yeah. You just said something that was really important. Like people are getting pregnant quicker doing it, you know, that way. And, and again, then that puts people back. It doesn't take people out of the workforce as much. Exactly. So can you, I think, and I'm going to probably butcher this, but I think you had mentioned just, um, in terms of like work infertility affecting a female in the workplace, right. Or even a male, honestly, I mean, mm -hmm. the, the partner goes through that too. Um, do you have any like tips or topics that you want to touch on in terms of infertility affecting women in the workplace? I mean, we know it absolutely affects your mental health, right? We all know that. Um, and you're right. It's a third, a third, a third. So a third of the time, it's a female kind of um, issue that may cause the infertility, a third of a male and a third is kind of unknown. And so, you know, I think males and females are going through the same thing, regardless of if they're the one who's undergoing treatment, they're still mental health is still affected by it. And I think no matter what, what we've seen is really having somebody to talk to is really important. Um, so one of the core beliefs at Progeny is that they, that our members have access to what we call a patient care advocate. That's really kind of their champion to support them through their journey. Um, and a lot of that help is emotional and mental health um, support. So just talking to somebody and saying like, I'm really struggling today with either making decisions or I'm struggling with um, understanding and processing this loss, right? And then getting people into the right care, whether that's meeting with a mental health counselor um, or something like that. I know for me personally, um, when we were navigating the multiple rounds of IVF, I saw a counselor and who specialized in infertility and it was so helpful to me, particularly around that ectopic pregnancy because I, as I mentioned, I was able to identify that PTSD that I was going through and understand it, process it, recognize it, 
and be able to move through it more appropriately. So I think, you know, people's mental health is certainly affected by infertility. And it, I think for most employers, um, this is really important. Mental health is one of the top priorities based on, um, you know, the pandemic obviously has caused um, employers to really focus on mental health. And so it is critical that infertility is kind of grouped into that, that people who are navigating are struggling with their mental health as well. Yeah, no, that's great. And since we're talking about um, just like supporting others and being able to have that support system, when I know you made wrote an article on infertility and sensitive questions, could you yeah. kind of talk a little bit um, just about that for, you know, friends and family members when they ask questions. Yes. Yes. This is like one of my favorite topics um, because I've in that seven years, I had some of the okay. dumbest questions. Well, <laughs> and I know I you read, guys have too. I read, yeah. I read the article and I was like, wow. Cause I never shared the amount of eggs I got. And then like how many embryos, because when I saw other women sharing, it was so triggering for me to be like, oh my gosh, I'm not like, I'm not it was, it was a fail. It wasn't, it was negative. It was all negative. And I'm just comparing myself to somebody else that honestly, who I was comparing myself with had PCOS. So they're getting like 20, 30 yeah. eggs. And I'm like, Oh, I got nine. Everything's fail. Right. And now I'll talk about it on the back end, but I love, love, love that article. And we linked Thank it in you. our story, but I'll <laughs> link it in the show notes too. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody who's been through this knows the stupid questions, like the obvious stupid questions that you get. Right. I think that article in particular um, had a, like a perspective of saying that there's no control of the person who's sitting in infertility, right? Like people assume that you have some sort of control in this process. And we all know that are going through this, that you don't, you have no control at all. And I think a lot of the questions align with somebody feeling like, well, I can't control the outcome of what's happening. And so I think, you know, if you know somebody that's struggling with infertility and or loss, I think the my number one kind of recommendation is you ask how the person is doing. It is so obvious, but people don't do it. People ask about the outcomes. They ask about your treatment. They ask about what's next, right? What do they forget in that process? It's you. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and it seems so basic, such a basic answer, but I mean, I don't know about you guys. I've, I felt like, like people just forgot kind of about how I was doing in the process. How was I physically, right? How was I emotionally, mentally processing? I don't know if that, if you guys felt the same way. Oh my gosh. I only was asked about what the outcome was, or even when I did share like, oh, you know, I like, I'm like, if I was like six weeks pregnant, like with my losses and I would share that people would be like, oh, so have you had an ultrasound? What was the outcome? You know? And it's like, well, like if I like, that's not how, that's nothing. I don't want to share that with you because I clearly right. haven't shared it. Yes. Okay. The outcome part is huge. I think people are constantly like, it's almost like a game and like, okay, episode two, what's yes, next? Yes, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I got asked that a lot of, okay, well, what are you going to do next? What's your next option? Not necessarily just, okay, how are you feeling through this? Well, right. and you, Amanda, you know, you shared, I, I think you shared that you were doing the donor embryo and then you really took four months off social media and you shared getting a lot of people reaching oh. out. Constantly. I mean, I got text messages all the time of like, oh, does this mean you're pregnant? Or, and I said it beforehand, like when we went to, so we went to Michigan for our transfer. And when I, before we went, I was like, okay, regardless of the outcome, I am going to be silent because one, if, 
it doesn't work. I need to process and grieve this because I mean, we worked so hard to get to this point. And then if it does work, I mean, I just still wanted to be able to then celebrate with just my family and my husband. And then we still have, you know, the 12 yeah. that are so stressful that anything can happen in those, you know, time frames. So yeah, we got questions all the time. So I ignored a lot of people, which probably made them mad, but, but I needed to do what was best for me. And again, like we said, they weren't asking how I was feeling. It was really just the outcome response is what they wanted to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's kind of generated that in the cult in our culture, but I also think it's really interesting. A lot of times people will ask about infertility. They'll say like, why? And you would never ask somebody why they have cancer, right? You would never do that, but you're assigning a blame with infertility, that it's, there's somebody to blame in the process. And, you know, that's fundamentally wrong to do that. So I would encourage anybody who knows somebody going through infertility to think about just the way you ask that question um, and really think about how that impacts the person that you're asking. And just remember that what that person's going through is really difficult. And it's probably the first medical event that that person's really faced um, that they didn't expect to be in. So I mean, there's so many silly questions and I know that you guys have gotten them. Um, And I think that ultimately my number one thing is just ask how the person's doing that's going through it. And there's an awesome book on um, grief that I reflect on a lot, which is um, by Sheryl Sandberg. It's called Option B. Um, And I recommend that to so many people because it gives so many amazing recommendations for somebody who's going through grief and loss and to really help somebody process that time. And one of the best pieces of advice from that book is instead of asking somebody if they need a meal or asking them if they'd like you to do something, just do it. Just Mm -hmm. go drop off the burger, go drop it off, put it at the front door. If they don't eat it, who cares? It doesn't matter. But you do that. You say there's a burger on your front, on your front step right? Like that's it. I love that. That's great. Because too, like, and you know, just grief or anything, that person doesn't want to have to navigate all of those questions during that period. And it almost makes it worse. Yeah. You're adding more responsibility to that person's plate. Right. And that's the last thing they need. Just, just, just do Do something nice. Just do something nice for somebody. That's great. I love it. (laughs) That is amazing. Well, do you have anything else you wanted to add in or anything you wanted to talk about? Um, we have, I, like I said, we have a few other questions um, that I'll ask, but is there anything you wanted to share with us? I mean, I think I've probably shared it along the way, but I think it's just, you know, really giving people confidence to ask about fertility coverage at work. Um, I think that's, so important to me because I see the big difference that it makes in people's lives. It made a huge difference in my life having access to coverage and is absolutely life-changing for me. And it's a simple conversation people can have, but I think sometimes people need the confidence that they can do it. And I'm here to say that you can and your voice definitely matters. So, I mean, if I could share anything, that's the most important thing to me. No, thank you so much. That's so encouraging. 
Um, and like you said, because so many people may not realize that that's one, not even an option, um, but also to get the confidence to do it. So that's very yeah. encouraging. Okay. So the last question I have for you, and I know you, you totally probably mentioned it, but, um, it, this person asked, they just switched. So they just switched to progeny and how the easiest way to make the most of their benefits. Ooh, that's a great question. And I love that that person has progeny coverage. That's amazing. It's like my favorite thing when I get to talk to people that have access to the coverage because yeah. it just honestly like it's gonna sound so cheesy and I hate saying it but like it it really does like warm my heart like I feel everything that they felt in those moments and it makes me feel so proud that they get to make decisions just just get to like go through treatment without thinking about all of that it's oh, yeah. it's so awesome but i would say you know make the most out of your patient care advocate so that's the person that's really assigned to you um that helps you navigate your journey these people are experts in fertility and they can help you clinically as well so if you have questions that are clinical in nature you know ask these people for advice they do this day in and day out and so sometimes i don't think people make the most out of that part of the benefit um but these people are a wealth of knowledge and can help them kind of navigate decision-making because we all know there's a million decisions to make in the fertility process. And just having somebody to say it out loud to sometimes is helpful and especially a person that's well-informed about it. So I would say definitely do that um, if, you, if you have access to the progeny benefit. And then, and, and please feel free to reach out to me, you know, if anybody who has questions more specifically kind of about coverage. I mean, I think you guys have shared my contact information so they can feel free to kind of reach out to me directly and I can help too. We have, and it was, um, it's actually her husband's insurance. So I yeah. feel like that's probably even harder for her to just be like, okay, how do I get these resources? So I will, we will definitely make sure she has your contact information. Awesome. That's great. Well, Amanda, thank you so, so much for being here. This was so insightful. We learned so much and I really hope our listeners get to all add on progeny to their insurance because <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what you guys do and just sharing your story with us. And we're so excited for you and your little girl. Um, but we're just so thankful that you were here today with us. Absolutely. Thank you guys for doing what you're doing too. You know, I think it assigns again value to people that are going through this so i know it's a passion project for you guys and um i'm just proud to be a part of it so thank you guys for using your voice in a powerful way really appreciate that